Hi, I'm Brandon Poe, founder of Poe Group Advisors. We are the premier accounting practice intermediary firm in the industry. You're listening to the Accountant's Flight Plan podcast, where we talk about stuff in the accounting world. So today our guest is Rita Keller. Rita is a nationally known CPA firm management consultant, speaker, and author. She is a former shareholder and chief operating officer of a large, successful regional CPA firm. Uh, She's been repeatedly named to accounting today's list of the top 100 most influential people in accounting. CPA practice advisor has repeatedly named Keller one of the most powerful women in accounting. Welcome, Rita. Thank you, Brandon. I'm delighted to chat with you today. Yes, we're so happy to to chat with you as well. And um, I'd like to start just to know a little bit more about yourself. If you could share a little bit about your background and how you how you got into accounting, and then how you got into the coaching uh, business. Well, I started many years ago. Um, my, actually, my first uh, job was in accounting department at a large manufacturer, Alcoa. And I, that was my introduction to the accounting world. You know, I had accounting classes, of course, in school and, and I went to junior college and later went back and finished my degree as I was working. But accounting was interesting to me and I got an offer to work for a CPA firm. Hmm. And I thought, gee, I, I, I didn't know any CPAs. you know, my folks are blue-collar folks. We we never used the CPA. I uh, didn't know much about it at all. I thought, boy, this is going to be pretty boring, but I'm going to give it a try. And I haven't been bored one second in 35 years, Brandon. It just it was so interesting to me, and what I have learned over the years has just been amazing. I walked into a firm with nine people in a a smaller city in Indiana, Richmond, Indiana. And the managing partner was an old school, traditional uh, Deloitte Touche alumni that that bought a small practice in this smaller city and and started building his own firm. And uh, I always joke about I was something uh, that we don't use anymore. It's the S word. We don't say it. Secretary. (laughs) And... We don't hear like, that. You don't no, hear that word anymore, do you? <laughs> no, no, no. You don't say that word. It's executive assistant or whatever. But in those days, in the uh, very late 70s, early uh, 80s, that person in an accounting firm was in the know. You know, I was secretary of the managing partner, so anything he needed done, I had to do. And we had some other admin people, of course. And eventually, uh, we heard of this organization, he did, from another managing partner called the Association for Accounting Administration. It's now called CPA FMA, CPA Firm Management Association. And he said, why why don't you go, they're having a meeting in Indianapolis, why don't you go check this out? Maybe it's something we can learn from. So I walked into that meeting, and it was the first time that I felt like people, when I talked about an issue or a problem, people nodded their head like they understood because the behind the scenes operations in an accounting firm is, it's not easy. You know, there's lots of challenges and, and time is an issue and efficiency and speed. And I was lucky that that old school managing partner saw the value and encouraged me to keep going to that, those meetings, 
sent me to the national conference. I went to every national conference for over 30 straight years. And the best part is what I brought back to the firm, we began to implement, you know, because at that time he was in a small a group of partners in Indiana that would kind of meet once a year and talk shop, you know, like we say. But the ideas I brought back really seemed to click. He was very open-minded, and but he was in retirement mode. And then he named um, the next managing partner. He had two younger partners, and he named a young guy that was 32 years old as managing partner when he went into retirement. And that's when the firm took off because he was ambitious and and we formed a team, and that nine-person firm grew into 130 people, wow. uh, three cities, three cities, and very. Uh, we were always they they were computerized when I walked in the door. It was an old clickety clack type computer, uh, and we had one of those IBM System 30s at one point. You know, they very. And then when PCs came out, they they embraced them. It was just they weren't afraid to try things and. That is the biggest challenge I see now, Brandon, with, with my client base and with uh, CPAs in general is that fear of risk, you know, um, we're comfortable. Yeah. Uh, let's just keep doing what we're doing. And our firm was always, and the partner group supported it. I mean, we had three partners, four partners. Eventually, I became office manager. I became firm administrator, director of administration, chief operating officer, and I became the uh, administrative partner in the firm. I actually became an equity partner in the CPA firm. Cool. I was the only only female non-CPA equity partner. And people think I am a CPA, but I am not a CPA. Everything that I deal with is, of course, you learn a lot along the way. You know, uh, this will well, be hard for probably for you to believe and your listeners to believe, but when I first started, we typed tax returns. Oh, wow. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah, that's, um, yeah, I, when I started my career in the nineties, I, we had a reviewer who was retired and he was, gosh, he was probably in his eighties. So this was back in, this was back in the early nineties and he was in his eighties and he was telling me how, his tax returns used to be prepared by hand. Everything was prepared by hand. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And luckily in my firm, if I wasn't, don't go back quite that far. Some things we would prepare by hand, but those were the days where a courier would come and pick up your input sheets and take them to Chicago and they would be calculated somehow. And they come back by courier two days later. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's changing so fast and you're right. There's a resistance to that change by some and some are embracing it. Um, it's interesting about your career, just you were exposed to the management side right away. I mean, what a, you were sort of in a great seat to get that perspective of how the firm was managed. And, um, one thing I wanted to ask you, I was just curious. I mean, it was, Sort of surprising that the managing partner of that firm chose someone 32 years old to take over. And I'm just wondering from your perspective, was his, was his youth a big advantage to that implementing change? And like, what do you think, 
was it just his personality or was youth part of the there? Anyway. it was part it was a little bit of both you know and I, now rarely do i see now more recently i've i've um, come across a lot of younger partners and um for many of my years in the profession, you know, you had to pay your dues and it took you 15 years to become a partner. Well, people don't want to wait anymore. You know, yeah. I, I wouldn't want to wait that long, you know, right. these days. but, but back then, um, he was very, um, personable. He was good with recruiting. He represented us on college campuses. He was a bis. He just had that natural ability to bring in business. And the other partner who would have been another choice was very, very intelligent, very, but he didn't have that um, as much drive, I think, and consistency. You know, when I, when I deal with firms and uh, I do coach a lot of managing partners, they, um, it's that people want to be led by somebody that they know what they're getting, you know? Um, and sometimes there's what I call, um, wild cards in the partner group where they're hot one day and they're cold the next, you know? So it was a little bit of that more consistency and, um, even, even keeled and you, you knew you got what you saw, all you got, you know, there was yeah. no surprises. Right. So I think that was went went into the decision-making and then that new managing partner, I was fortunate then that because I had been the one out gathering data from other firms, you know, did you know so-and-so in Indianapolis is doing blah, 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 you know, uh, and we say, Re really, you know, so then um, our new managing partner got involved with Don Scholl in management for results. Do you remember hearing about that? No, I, I don't that. remember that one. Well, it was probably popular in the 80s, real popular in the 80s, into the 90s, but he was a, the first CPA management consultant I ever met, and he ha he would gather um, partners, wannabe partners or brand new partners, and give them, you know, how do you manage your firm? He, it was like a three-day workshop, and then they had reunions every year. So that's how our new managing partner got acquainted with a lot of the current trends and things going on. and. My firm, I am so thankful they invested in me. They sent me, of course, to the AAA conferences, but I went to, uh, I remember my first MAP conference, Managing an Accounting Practice. Missouri, I don't know if you remember, the Missouri MAP conference was like nationally known for management issues, and they'd have it every year. Um, I was asked to speak at that on behalf of firm administrators probably in the mid-'80s, way back, and that's when... I started my speaking career, which helped me build my, my following, you know, is people would say, well, your firm's doing this. How, can you come and talk to us about it? Right. And so that, that's kind of what built my reputation and gained me a lot of experience, but they sent me to many different conferences just to attend. The first one I attended was the Indiana MAP conference. There were about probably 200 partners in the room, uh, and the speaker there was Chris Fredrickson. I'm sure you've met Chris Fredrickson. Yes, yes. I've, um... Yeah, he, he's still around. And I was one of three women out of 200 people in the room. Wow. So that, that's, how it, that's how it's evolved over the years. You were a real trailblazer. But what, you know, what a great opportunity you had in that firm to, 
to get exposed to all this. It was um, so very fortunate, very fortunate. And then uh, I've always, you know, I'm a big proponent of mentoring in the CPA profession. And uh, I think it's a natural part of a CPA firm because an older, more experienced person trains a younger, less experienced person. I mean, that's, that's probably how you learned, right? It is absolutely. And I think mentoring was a big part of my career. And interestingly, you know, there were probably three people that I can think back on who were really instrumental in shaping my career. And you never forget those people and you're always grateful and you think about them frequently. So it, it really has made a difference for me. That is so true. And and that, that is what helped me. I, I always sought out mentors and, and I've, you know, done a lot of work with accounting firms in mentoring, helping them set up programs and get them started because it, although it's natural and it's a part of the culture of most firms, they don't realize that's what they're doing. Right. You know, there, it needs a little bit of structure. It needs a champion, someone to make sure it's really working and firms that, that have those programs that are, they really are able to bring people along quicker, you know, and we got somebody that really cares about how you're doing and you know they care about you and how you're doing, that's incentive, don't yeah. you think? Uh, really, probably, motiv- it's very motivating as well, I would think, just incredibly okay. motivating. Um, I agree. So I was fortunate in, in that that area that I had always had people pushing me. And if I'd meet someone, uh, if I'd be at one of these conferences and there'd be a great speaker, I always went up and introduced myself to the speakers, made sure that you know, I could ask them questions, and I always encourage people uh, to do that when they're at conferences because, you know, later on, these people that I used to go and ask questions, they became my friends. Yeah. You know, I, I was, for many years, was part of the New Horizon group, which is Rosenberg and Colton and Chris Fredrickson and Gail Crosley and, and all of those people, Jennifer Wilson, um, all those people that, you, that are well-known consultants to the profession are now some of my best friends, you know, interesting. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, um, so I want to talk a little bit about your coaching business in its current form. Um, so I want to ask you sort of like who's your typical client, what firm size, how many partners, that sort of thing. Like what's the, what's the ideal client for you? Well, it's interesting how this is, how this has come about. Um, you know, I worked for, for the firm for 30 years, and when I hit my 30th anniversary, I said, that's enough. I want to, at that time, I was doing some consulting, um, and naturally, my partners would rather I focus on our firm. I thought they'd be happy I was bringing in revenue, but it didn't turn out that way. <laughs> so, so I thought, well, and also, I'll be honest with you, when a firm grows and has you know, um, 15 partners, it's a lot different than when you have five or six, you know, it's the, the culture has to change and it does change. So I thought since I was pretty well known, I'd been named top 100. And I thought as when I have this, um, visibility, I better take advantage of it before I get too old. You know, so I, that's what I did. I, I took an early retirement and I, um, started consulting on my own, worked out of my home. It was a big transition to do that, to leave a firm and go 
sit in my office at home all by myself. You know, I miss the people aspect of it. Right. I, I kind of relate to a lot of these people that work remotely now. But you know, you can get a lot done when you're when you're working remotely. So I I kind of understand that. So I thought, okay, I I've been through five mergers, five acquisitions. Our firm did. We uh, acquired non-traditional businesses along with, with typical CPA firms. Um, I knew everything that goes on behind the scenes, um, marketing, and uh, eventually when I became administrative partner, the marketing director, the technology director, the HR director, and the controller all reported to me. So, I mean, I had such a broad knowledge base. I thought I better, I'm, I figured I would work with larger firms. As it turned out, Brandon, most of my clients are small firms. Hmm. And the reason that is, most of the consultants don't want to mess with small firms. I mean, that's putting it kind of bluntly, but you know, they would, they're more focused on the larger firms. Um, because I worked at our, my firm was nine people, you know, I, I understood some of those issues they're going through. So most of them are under 20 people. I have a couple that are in that, uh, around 50, but they're the kind of firms that, that they don't have a full-time HR director. They don't have a full-time marketing person. Right. You know, the small, the smaller firms can't afford all those resources. So the knowledge and experience I bring to them um, is, is a big help. You yeah. Know? And, and as I, you know, experienced firm growth, I can relate to all that. I sat in more partner meetings than I care to think about. <laughs> I can re- relate to all of those issues. So it's my, my typical client is about 15 people. Uh, my smallest client is probably five people. Uh, I, I've talked with several sole proprietors. It doesn't mean they're small. Some of them are, are really nice practices, but it's people who want that, that um, outside input, I guess, without going out and attending all the conferences and Right. You know, in a more more affordable way, like I said, they can't they can't afford a a chief operating officer or a, so anybody that's under fifty people, I would say is is my okay. sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I usually and I I'm coaching all all different kinds of people in leadership roles, uh, managing partners. Most of them are owners, managing partners, or another owner that I coach. Uh, I have a a couple COOs, chief operating officers, uh, firm administrators. Uh, I have a marketing director that I'm coaching. What I find with the larger firms, my my clients that are a little larger, when they bring on someone new, like a new marketing director or or a new firm administrator, mm-hmm. it's kind of a shock coming from going into a CPA office when you've worked in any other kind of office. Yeah, because of the, the, all the software that we deal with, um, and for most firms, keeping track of your time. Right. That, 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 so, and mar- with marketing directors, they get very frustrated with partners. You can imagine that. <laughs> you know, they partners don't just they they aren't dying to get out there and market. You know, they're not the marketing personalities for the most part. Right. So I help I help them kind of. Um, you know, the managing partner, often I talk to the managing partner and someone else there because he'll say, you need to talk to so-and-so and help her get kind of understand the CPA profession and help <laughs> her with some issues. And so so that's 
that's basically how it, how it evolved. So I, uh, anybody that kind of works behind the scenes in an accounting firm is, is who I, who I want to reach out to. Uh, I have coached younger partners, uh, new partners coming in. I've coached some actual accounting managers, you know, that are trying to struggle with how billable they have to be with bringing in new business so they can actually become a partner someday. Right. So those are the kinds kinds of people, just people in leadership roles. And I still do some, I do go on site once in a while. I had a a very uh, energetic young partner from a firm in the Miami, Florida area that just had to have me come down and and do a one day thing of (laughs) a leadership type thing for the firm. So I did give in and travel down there last year. I think I did three travel engagements last year. But for the most part, it's I set it up on, on the a phone schedule. We talk once a month. Uh, it's a fixed fee each month. And depending on how many people I talk to and size of the firm and all that sort of stuff. And then uh, in between, you know, if they have issues, they can call me. Uh, I email a lot of support. I'm, I'm there for them the whole month. But we do have that one scheduled phone call to kind of keep us keep tabs on them because like I said earlier, it's about implementation. Right. Accountants know that most of them, and you, you probably have seen this, they know what they should do. They just don't do it. Right. Yeah. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. Um, so I do want to, I call it FTI failure to implement. And um, <laughs> so I want to circle back to that, but like one thing I wanted to ask you, if you had to say the top three, issues that are facing the firms that you advise, what, what would you say are the, are the top three? Well, the first one, of course, that comes to mind is talent. Mm. Everybody's looking for people. I mean, it's, it's, it's still going on. It hasn't got any better. I I know that the uh, leaders of the profession say more students are, are majoring in accounting and, but, you know, there, there's a lot of people come to into CPA firms and they don't stay. You know, they go to work for a client, they go into private industry, and and then feeding that pipeline and, and finding good talent is is probably number one, no matter what size the firm. I know the big firms face it. All of my smaller clients, I have a couple that are that are really desperate for talent. Now it's so talent is probably number one. Uh, Number two is that FDI, failure to implement, you know, to get out of their comfort zone and, and to take a little bit of a risk and um, change some things, you know, change it up and, and try new things. And then the third big thing is technology. And I don't know if they are, they're all three important right now and probably yeah. more I could name, but the becoming a digital firm, you know, it's uh, my firm went paperless in 1999. And we, we followed another firm that we had met, an Atlanta firm, and they were the first firm we ever heard of that went paperless. So we, they kind of mentored us. And, you know, we did it in stages. And today, what is this, 19 years, 20 years later, <laughs> firms still are not completely paperless. Right. You know, the small, they, they, they say they are so-so, you know but they're not, they're not. And I worry about them, how they're going to make this leap to, um, well, the CAS services, the client accounting services. I'm sure you, 
get into a lot of discussions about that. That's a hot niche right now. Yeah. Yeah. But it takes, I, te takes technology to get it done. I'm seeing some really fast growing um, firms, new firms that are really technology driven. And the, you know, the thing about tech, if you look at Silicon Valley and all the tech is how fast it scales. And I'm seeing some of that in the accounting industry, but some of these new firms that are, that are tech driven and they're scaling just extremely rapidly. And um, I don't know that many people are aware of that uh -huh. threat. That's describe, describe, describe one to me. How are they doing it? Well, um, there's one right here in Charleston. I think it's, I may not have the name exactly right. I want to say Satara, but I don't think that's correct. But there's a firm here in Charleston and um, it's run by a guy named Levi Morehouse and he's attracting outside capital and he's, um, I think, attracting clients from in a specific niche industries, like he's going after different niches and um you know, he can serve clients from anywhere. So it's a very um, remote, you know, virtual, it's a virtual practice, but they do have offices and they have a large and growing staff. So they run out of an office, but they serve clients all over, all over. So they're, they're doing the books, right? They're doing yeah, they're doing, the they're doing the bookkeeping and um, sort of um, they're, I guess their target audience is, is the entrepreneur, you know, they're really going after mm -hmm. entrepreneurs and they're not just focusing on, okay, yeah, we'll do your books, but we're going to give you KPI reporting. We're going to consult with you and kind of help you, um, help you give, get the information you need to make decisions for your business, not just traditional tax and compliance work. Mm -hmm. That's what I've seen too is, is, um, I can't remember his name now, Michael, somebody in California that I've met at conferences, a very remarkable young man that just, uh, he didn't do the tax work. He just did the behind the scenes stuff because I said, well, don't, doesn't the CPAs, they don't refer to you because you, he said, yeah, because I don't do tax. I just help them. I want them to understand, to take the information and then help them run their business better. Yeah. I don't have to. So, uh, and he was, I think it was a virtual office he was running, but yeah. I've come across more and more of those. And I think we're going to see more, like you said, with the millennials, um, really at the point now where they are beginning to be leaders in firms Yep. and run, and starting their own firms. I, I think that, and if I was a, you know, I am, I guess a small business owner, you know, I like that. Yep. I, I don't yep. want to, you want somebody to take care of it. And, you know, I, I like downloading my return from the portal and I still talk to practices that they're, oh, our clients don't want to use the portal, you know, we blah, 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 blah. still sending out paper organizers, you yeah. know, it's just that that's what worries me is how are those firms ever going to make the transition? And I guess they're, they're just going to have to merge up. I don't, I don't know. Well, yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think I, I've sort of thought that, well, have, have they really had a reason to up until now? And maybe not. I mean, if it's working well, okay yeah. for them, 
Um, but I think, I, I think as these other firms start to improve their business models, they're going to, they're going to turn up the heat on everybody else. And, um, and, and then people will make changes because they have to. Well, and another concern of mine is the, the small business clients of accounting firms. Mm-hmm. They're facing these same challenges with the technology. And if the accounting firm isn't there to set the example, yeah. you know, and show them, you know, I, I think it, that's going to be a big market because there's a lot of mom and pop businesses out there that how are they going to survive in the digital world? They they, they got to have someone to kind of help them along the way. And if the accounting firms aren't doing it themselves, how are they going to help their clients? Uh, you make a great point. I've never really thought about that, but you're exactly right. That's that's an interesting idea. Um, yeah, and if yeah. if the accountant doesn't offer that, somebody will. So, I mean, that's kind of the thing about accounting. I think there's so many opportunities because you have that trusted relationship. If you you know, if you've got the service, if you've got a specialist in house that can do things, then you can probably build your firm in so many different directions. Um, well, and some some of the uh, hurdles I think that I'm hearing is you know the cost of technology, because and the expertise in the in the firms that are very small, they don't have anybody. You know, they they have an outside consultant that runs their tech for them. Right. You know, they, they don't do it themselves anymore, but, but, but they, they aren't technology, technologically advanced enough to really, and they don't have the, the money right. to invest. Yeah. So if you're going to make money at client accounting services at doing bookkeeping, you know, I've been around long enough that that's what my firm did when I first went in, they, they had client bookkeepers that would work in house and go out to the client site and help keep books. And then all of a sudden, the accountants didn't want that work because they couldn't make any money at it. And PCs came about, so the client said, oh, we'll do it ourselves. Yeah. And then the clients yeah. found out they couldn't do it themselves. Right. So then, then the accounting firms took it back, but the big firms didn't want it. Now, some of the largest firms I'm hearing really have very strong um, CAS practices because they've eliminated so much. There's no data entry. You know, it's all connections with through technology that you import everything. You get the bank statements, you get the brokerage statements, you get, you know, you get all of it through technology. So the labor involved goes down. Yep. That's what the small firms probably can't afford. Right. It's, um, yeah, but it's, it's getting to where the, the tools are going to get cheaper and better. I, I mean, that's the whole thing with cloud-based applications, um, you know, our firm, uh, we we were kind of early adopters of some of the cloud-based um, CRMs. So we okay. use um, we use a we use Salesforce, which is a big CRM, and uh, yeah. you know it's great. All the data is central. I can work from anywhere. Um, I'm using the same technology that someone in a Fortune 500 company would use, and you know, it's affordable. So there's a lot of cloud-based applications that can, um, and those are getting more and more competitive and better and better all the time. Well, and I think that is why uh, some of the larger firms I know have really 
beefed up their technology consulting niche yeah. to really help small companies with that. And, and when it comes to the, uh, you know, I, I can't talk audits with you. Again, I'm not, a, not a, an accountant or CPA, but that is going to all be so advanced via technology that I think that's a lot of the smaller firms. I had a client today that says, you're going to be happy with us. We we're not, we're out of the auditing business Yeah, yeah. because they did two audits. That's right. crazy. You it's, can't, it's dangerous. It's, it is. You cannot be proficient in anything. If you're doing one or two of them, you just, it's right. not wise. Um, well, let's talk about those other two. We talked a little bit about tech, like, uh, let's talk about FTI failure to implement and, I'm sure your clients benefit greatly from your monthly um, conversations because you probably help keep them accountable to the things that they want to implement. Um, so, or you, yeah, try, Brand, keep, Brand, or you try, right? <laughs> Brandon, what I call it is I nag them, you know. <laughs> yeah. If you come boil it all down, it's somebody that's going to nag them a little bit and push them and, so yeah, that that does help, and and I think that is why uh, some of the the mid level firms goes back to that firm administrator role, and the, if the firm has a strong firm administrator that can take a lot of that off the shoulders of the managing partner, yeah, things will happen faster because when partners split up the administrative work and you have one partner doing recruiting and one does CPE and one does the books, you know they need to be billable and or bringing in clients. So right. if, if you have that strong firm administrator that can take on those tasks and those projects, I think you see more implementation. And I think that's why the CPA FMA organization grew over so many years because firms saw the need for that person that's not billable, that can, their client is the firm and could make things happen. Now what I see a, a lot of that is um, – a lot of those, I always called them the bread and butter firms, firms that were under 100 people, but not as small as 20. You know, the, the two to $10 million firms, I guess, in the surveys, mm -hmm. a lot of those firms are being acquired. Yeah. You know, and that role is disappearing. So um, I, I, I don't know what you hear, but I hear some of the mergers, we don't hear about the divorces, you know, if there are any. I, I know there's not many, you know, there's, but sometimes it doesn't go smoothly. And I think they need that some, somebody there to keep internally, to keep, keep their eye on the ball and keep push, pushing so that everything is streamlined and you're efficient and, and, and can make decisions, you know, management decisions that shield the partners from a lot of that. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I agree. I, um I have an excellent, uh, person who helps me and it has just it's a game changer having that right hand is so important to free free up the the decision making I'm, yeah i'm glad to hear you say that because that that's what i call it a right hand and i think a lot of firms need um i do have a couple clients now that are multi-partners and it's it's a battle you know, it's a, it's a battle at times. The managing partner sometimes doesn't, didn't really want to be managing partner. Nobody else wanted it. So uh, he's trying to do it and keep a large client base. And 
it it just gets um, become firms become siloed. That's what I call them, uh-huh. siloed firms. And if you get a firm, I've got one right now that says we want to be a one firm firm. So we're trying to get everybody on the same page, you know, where everybody has the same processes and procedures. It's not for old Joe. It's just back in the corner. We have to do his work papers this way. And uh, somebody's that way. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's really uniting that partner group so that they see when you get a new person coming in, think how much easier it is to train them if there's one way to do it. Right. Sure. And, and I would, yeah. So, so I think that I'm glad to hear you say you've got that person that's the right hand of the managing partner that can handle. And I always challenge my, my people in that role. If they're the right hand person, what is that managing partner doing that you could be doing? Take, take all those headaches away from that person. And so I think that that's a key component if you want your firm to grow. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have, um, I did a blog post with, um, Rob Siegfried a couple, I guess oh, yeah. a year or two ago. And, um, Rob, um, you know, he's, he had this sort of really amazing concept and he's the managing partner of his firm and they're a pretty large firm. And, um, he, he had the goal to get to zero billable hours, probably, I think he said 12, 15 years ago. And, um, mm-hmm. at the time that was sort of like a pretty, um, maverick idea because, you know, he was told by partner managing partners of a lot bigger firms. Oh no, you got to at least bill a thousand hours a year or 1200 hours a year and you can run the firm. Um, but he, he found that, um, by really just focusing on team development, business development, and, um, sort of protection, protecting the firm from any risks that, that, that was really a full-time job for a firm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it really, he said it was instrumental in helping him, you know, implement the changes that needed to happen for him to grow that business. And, um, I think he became pretty non-traditional, didn't he? Wasn't he outsourcing people or, you know, I'm not, I think he does a lot of consulting. I think he, um, kind of got away from traditional CPA work at Mm -hmm. at one point and, and now I'm focusing, focusing on a lot of consulting services. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that firm really grew. I, I met him years ago. I haven't seen him in years, but I do remember meeting him. He's very dynamic. Yeah, he's very, yeah. very charismatic guy. Um, but, um, well, I think accountability is definitely helpful. Having the team united, as you mentioned, um, and probably having somebody as a driver, you know, maybe it's the firm administrator, maybe it's the managing partner. Um, I guess maybe, maybe share some success stories. Like, have you had clients that didn't have the, the failure to implement challenge and what was the, why was that? Do you think like, why did that? <laughs> I, I do have a couple examples of that. And, and, and with my own firm, I think it's that, do you have the ambition and do you, do you really, you know, I always liked it. Now we're calling it uh, an industry, the accounting industry, but there were some old, older accountants that, that were really, they said, it's a profession. You know, it's like a doctor or a lawyer, you know, where 
but I, I think we've kind of crossed that line where it really is a business. Mm-hmm. And and that's that's what I I try to bring home to my coaching clients, especially the managing partners. You've got to take care of business. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's great it, because <laughs> so true, <laughs> so true. <laughs> if if you don't take care of business and you don't guide your and uh, help mold your culture, it'll form on its own, and it yeah. might not be something you want. You know, so. Um, I always encourage them to decrease their client load. Uh, I don't think I ha- I don't have any firms large enough where the managing partner has zero billable hours. I think that if you want to grow, I think that's where you have to get. Our managing partner got down to about 500 maybe billable hours a year. Mm-hmm. He had a lot of relationships, and that's what I tell partners. You, you need to have the relationships and, and tie those clients to the firm. You don't have to do the work. Right. My challenge with with a lot of my clients is partners are still doing the work. Yeah. You know, you got yeah. it. You, if you want to grow, you got to step back and and. So I've got a couple um, that are real go getters, and it takes that personality um, to to set the tone for the whole firm. Because yeah. if if I'm dealing with a firm where the partners are are uh, lack lackadaisical and you know they don't they're not driven at all none of them they're they're just trying to to be comfortable that firm I've got a couple in that category and their revenue's been flat year after year last three years yeah and and the partners are aging and what's going to happen they're going to have to merge up right and 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 I've even heard from one firm recently Brandon that that they had a large firm interested in them, but the firm backed away once they saw the numbers. Yeah. Yeah. The cash so, flow needs to be there. I can attest to that. It's all about cash yeah, I flow. Bet you can. I bet you can. I bet you see a lot of that. And that that's what I try to get across to firms. I says, even if, if you think some partner groups think, Oh, we're just going to status quo because when we're ready to retire, we're, we'll just merge up. And I said, but if you're not running a good firm, I mean, you've got to have, your firm has to look good. You know, you've got to have good people. You have to have good managers. You have to be making the numbers. Else you, nobody's going to want you. Yeah. You know, nobody, nobody wants a dud, I tell them. Right. It's, um, you know, if people say, well, it's really not really about the money. Well, when you, when, when you're looking to be acquired or absorbed, it's going to be about the money somewhat. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, Brandon, have you have you had experience with firms that smaller firm that merges up and finds out that the larger firm is not near as efficient, as technology driven, as uh, not as good as the smaller firm? What have, have you had situations like that, and what have you done about them? Not, um, not really. I mean, I I would say there have probably been some differences, but not. Difference is big enough to where it was seriously problematic. Um, that's a great example. I can't think of one. It's usually the other way around. You know, I think. Usually, yeah. But I've come across uh, one that one of my longtime clients merged up. And he was a guy that attended. He was on AICPA committees. He attended uh, practitioner symposium every year. He, 
you know, he really, he was in a round table of small firms. He took those ideas and implemented them and had a really good firm, but you know, he was getting to retirement age and he wanted to merge up. Well, it's, it's you know, and you, if you're an acquiring firm, you want to keep the people. Yeah. You know? Actually, I do have an example that just came to mind. So we sold a firm in Montreal or it, it's been absorbed um, by a large organ, a large firm in, out of Japan of all places. And really? um, no. the, um, the firm owner, the founder was a young, um, is a young guy named Ryan Lozanis. And actually I did a podcast with him. Our previous podcast was with Ryan and uh, he built this firm very rapidly and he was very um, technology based. And so they, um, they really wanted that firm so they could learn from from what he had created. Mm. Mm. So the, 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 That's great. Yeah, they they wanted his model. You know, that was the point of the act of the of the um absorption. And so know, that worked out. I mean, but they're listening to what he has to say, right? Oh yeah, they are more than listening. Yeah. They are um <laughs> studying and um using it to implement across the board. That's great. Yeah, that's a good story. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a lot of stories out there. That's for yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Ryan's going to, Ryan's really a good one to follow. He's, um, he's um, going to be ex exciting person to watch in the industry. He's got a little blog out and getting that going and yeah. he's really. I'll look him up. Yeah. Um, so. I'll listen to your, I'll listen I'll listen to your podcast. It's the one you just, it's the newest one on there. It's the newest one. Yes. Okay. Okay. I'll check it out. So, um, yeah, the, the, the failure to implement, I think that's probably what you're doing is, um, helping people get, get those implemented. Those weekly, those monthly check-ins are probably huge for just keeping that progress going. Well, and that, that's, Basically, my role right now is to and and try to make it easier for them through my experience. And you know, I have a library of 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 things that you know processes and procedures and job descriptions and evaluations and and all kinds of things that I can bring to them where they don't have to recreate the wheel. And and I keep current, you know, on all that too. So it uh, I tell them that I read so they don't have to. You know, I do my <laughs> daily blog. Yep. I've been doing every business day for over 13 years now. I've blogged. Wow. On CPA, on CPA management. So it's, it's very focused and uh, people say, how do you, what do you think of every day? And you know, it's not hard I, because I read, I, I try to keep up with the profession and I try to pass that along to my followers and to my clients so that um, something came up today that, that, um, this 10 business day rule for filing state tax returns. Hmm. It's, and I won't go into detail about that, but it's a new ruling because of this tax year with software updates that you get from your tax software provider. So it, they have to file the state return within 10 days. And if an update happens, they have to do it over if they don't get it, you know, when it sits in e-filing, so anyway, I hear things like that, and then I blog about it, and then I can take that to my clients. And I talked to a couple clients uh, this morning. They never heard of it. 
but it's been out there on account on accounting today cch put out a thing on it so th- that's that's my mission you know just to keep people in the know and i enjoy the writing you know i i really do and, and i write articles for state societies and things like that so yeah that that's yeah. a that's a good part of what i do also but but i guess my mission is is that to fight that failure to implement because if they just try things and keep i call it baby steps you know they 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 can't change completely overnight, but they can make some steps in the right direction. So that's my mission. Yeah. Well, great. I um, um, wanted to talk a little bit about talent. You said that was sort of the number one issue. So what have you seen? What sort of the creative things you some of your clients have done in this area to attract and keep strong talent? Well, I uh, they're all – they're they're using the popular websites like Indeed and and they're all into LinkedIn, you know, trying to find people through LinkedIn and, and that LinkedIn uh, level of service where you can find people that are looking for jobs. But a lot of them are doing it the old-fashioned way, you know. And and what I try to encourage, even some of the, the very small firms, Brandon, is to uh, hire from the college campus. Mm. You know, go to small go to small colleges because when you get these. You know, you have to train them. I mean, that's true. You have to train them. But anybody coming from another firm, you have to train in your way of doing things. And you have, and sometimes they bring baggage. You know, experienced people, there's a lot of baggage sometimes. So I I try to get them all in the mode of looking and growing your own. So, So that's what I recommend. A lot of them are, even the small firms are getting into that and going out to their local universities and even small colleges sometimes get ignored. So a lot of that's going on. Um, most of them are just trying everything and they still, still can't. I've got a couple, uh, one lady, a uh, sole proprietor in um, near Kansas city that is, is just desperate for, to find somebody to help prepare tax returns. Mm, yeah. You know, it's just, it, it, it's hard because the bigger firms, of course, are taking people and they attract them. They offer more benefits and all that sort of thing. So it, I don't know if it's going to lessen any. They say with technology, maybe some of that will ease up, but it's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. So it, it's uh, one firm. This is kind of a creative thing. They went to their state. In their state, they could go to uh, a database of licenses you know statelicense.com and they found people that had people there were registered with a cpa license Hmm. and it was a it was on the state database and so that they could download it and they found people in their three county area that were cpas and started emailing them yeah I, (laughs) i thought that was pretty clever and they had found a lady that's perfect. That, that is that is retired but wants to work just tax season for a while. That's ideal for, yeah. for these smaller firms. If they can find somebody that comes in, works tax season, and then goes away. So some of them are getting creative, doing things like that. I'd never heard of that one before. I'm going to check out Ohio and see if they got a database like that. <laughs> but yeah. So, uh, but everybody's trying and it's just a struggle you know and i i think the best way is that you got to build that firm which is what i strive for is that firm that is progressive forward thinking has a great culture 
uh, really is concerned about employee engagement. Uh, does, does all I call it the warm and the warm and fuzzy stuff. You yeah. know, all yeah. the the massages during tax season and playing putt putt golf in the hallway and all that stuff seems kind of silly, but it means it you have to do it. Yeah. But the bigger issue, and my I've said this so many times in my presentations, you got to do all that warm and fuzzy stuff, but you also got to include them. Right. You have to have that inclusive so that they, how's the firm doing? So many young people, they don't know what goes on behind the scenes, the things that I talk about, you know, what makes the firm profitable? Why does it matter how accurate I keep my time? Yeah. You know, and I always urge managing partners to do uh, um, CPA firm economics for the, for the staff. Tell them how, how you run the firm. What do you look at? What is, some of them don't even know what realization and utilization is. Right. You know, they don't know the difference. So if you can get a firm that's open and like that, and that firm will attract people because your people will talk to their friends. Yeah. You know, the college yeah. campus, the college campus soon hears about higher interns when they go back to campus, make sure they have a good story to tell. Mm. Yeah. That's a, yeah. And, and, you know, retaining is probably, more important than just attracting because, well, I guess they're both important. They're both important, but turnover is so expensive. And so, I mean, you, when you lose a good person, it's, it's a big loss. Oh, it is. It is. Well, they say what, like three times the salary to replace somebody that's experienced Yeah. the time you hire somebody and train somebody. And yeah. And, and the workforce now, the workforce has changed and some of our practitioners haven't changed, you know, that, yeah. Somebody doesn't like it. They're going to quit. Yeah. I, I remember the day when no one ever quit during tax season. That was just taboo. That right. would be unethical. They don't care now. They quit in February. You know? Yeah. yeah. Different. The workforce has changed. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I find for, for our small team, just taking people to lunch on a regular basis and just being engaged with them is huge. You know, just talking oh. to them one-on-one, it's um, Perfect. That's exactly, Brandon. You're exactly doing the right thing. They just want, they want to know you care about them, and they they want to be included. You know, yeah. I always say partners meet, meet, meet. Managers meet, 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 and the rest of the staff wonders what they're meeting about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, so you know, include people and and uh, give them a reason to to have a voice. Do employee surveys. Uh, I'm a big believer. If you have a task that has to be done, establish a task force. And put an admin person on there and put a first year person on there. And because the task force, they address the issue and then it goes, it's not like a committee. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of committees, but the task force then disbands, you know, they got it done. But that way you get input from everybody. Yeah. And, and just ask, asking people, what do you think? Can we improve? Yeah. And it's fun for them and you get awesome ideas and feedback. I mean, it's. Um, you, you sure do. So. Those are great. Those I always, are... I always loved it, Brandon, when I was at the firm to take the interns to lunch. I would, we would, we weren't huge, so we didn't. We had maybe four, five interns during tax season, and I would take them to lunch, and they'll just open up and tell you stories. And I had more fun with that because, well, somebody was giving them attention. You know, they got a free lunch. Uh, and and they'll tell you they have so much insight in, in two or three weeks they can tell you everything about the partner. Yeah. They know which 
they know wh- they know which one's surfing the web, which one uh, they can imitate. They can imitate them. <laughs> That's funny. That's kind of funny. Um, ah, good stuff. Um, well, what about growth? Let's talk a little bit about growth. So, have you seen any common growth stages that are particularly tough to break through? Um, in my experience, you know, growth is almost in steps and you get to a step and then you got to figure some more stuff out and then you can grow some more and, and then you, you kind of get to the point where, okay, we gotta, we gotta make some more changes. Any, any that you've observed that are common or maybe it's not a certain revenue number, but maybe it's a staff size or something. What I see with growth is, and most of the other consultants will tell you the same thing is is figuring out your niche. You know what? There are so many generalists out there that they'll take any client. You know, we we always said, hold up a mirror. Are they breathing? Okay. They can be a client. (laughs) And I think the best firms have a process for accepting clients. Mm. And uh, I think it's really important that, that you, um, there, I mean, I've heard of, I don't know what firm it is, but there's one firm, I think, in Florida that all they do is McDonald's operators, and they do them from across the country. It's yeah. a huge firm. And uh, I, I met one guy that is has a practice. It's not real big, but he's become very famous. He only, his clients are owners, private owners of airplanes. Huh. Interesting. Now, that's, that's an interesting pretty, <laughs> that's pretty specialized well, there's, a, there's a lot of complexities with owning an airplane I guess and taxi I guess he speaks on behalf of the AICPA but he's built a very lucrative practice around himself but he's very narrowly focused and he's he's done extremely well you know so I think so many firms try to be try to serve everybody they want to so I, I think as far as growth, focusing on niches, that's where I've seen a lot of success. And being um, accepting clients have a process for that. Right. You know, just ma- make sure the, the right kind of clients you're attracting. And I see a lot of my firms are really doing a lot better job at that, you know, kind of uh, having a documented process for interviewing new clients and making sure that it's the kind of client that fits the firm. I also see that with uh, hiring people. Yeah. You know, I, I've, I've talked to, uh, uh, I talk to a lot of firms, not just my client base, but I have a lot of friends that I've made over the years that I still talk to on occasion. We try to brainstorm a little bit. There's one firm in New Jersey that they really have a very elaborate process for hiring because they don't want that turnover. Yeah, You know, they want to bring somebody in and they involve a lot of the staff people in it. And they try to be honest. You know, we have this thing called tax season. They don't try to sugarcoat anything. And it's worked exceptionally well for them. And I think that's what more firms should do is, is just um, make sure you're accepting a client that's going to be good for the firm. Right. That's good. Well, I want to move on to some of our a little bit, I won't say easier questions, but more of a rapid fire questions. Um, okay. So um, what advice would you give to someone planning to start a practice from scratch? Boy. 
make sure you understand the technology. Mm, very good. I like it. What is one idea, observation, or insight you've had um, that you consider to be the major contributor to the success of your clients? Mm, that's a tough one. An idea. I think we go back to that implementation. Yeah. Having that drive. I think yeah. having that drive, yeah, and, and pushing them. I think that's that's the major thing that's is helping them be successful. And how how would you say you might have discovered that? Like what when did that become really clear to you? <laughs> I think probably when I first branched out now, like I said, our, our firm was pretty open and, and was always looking for ways to improve. I think when I first met a lot of other firms through going to conferences and through belonging to associations and um, I was on state society committees, I think that's when it hit me that it was very common that accountants were adverse to change. Yeah. Because because our firm wasn't like that. You know, when we told our partner group we're going to go paperless, they, you know, they listened to the, of course, we had to sell it to them. You know, this is why, this is how it would work. They all said, okay, let's do it. Yeah. The firms, a lot of the firms I talk to now, they've got a partner that just will not do it. And so it, it slows the whole firm down. Yeah. There's that part, there's always that partner that says, no, no, we shouldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, what do you consider to be the most serious threat facing the profession right now? And how do you think it might be addressed? Well, again, I go back to two of our topics, technology and talent. Yeah. You know, I, I think the technology that's, that's coming um, fairly rapidly, I, I do not believe it's it's happening as rapidly as the maybe the AICPA or state societies or some of the consultants kind of trying to scare practitioners into. I agree with you. Know, you. There's not going yeah. to be any, any tax work. You know, Darren Root had a good article in accounting today this week about the traditional firm is not dead or something like that. Uh, you should read it. Yeah, I think it's a good, good. article. Because I, I kind of picked up on it in my blog. I, I believe that, too. I, I think, yes, it's going to happen, but it's not going to happen in five years. Yeah, I agree with you. It's not it's not going to be this this tsunami that hits everything at once. It's going to be um, it's going to be a slow rise in the sea level. <laughs> yeah, more gradual. I think it is. But but I, I think that the firms that really get serious about the technology and take advantage of the you know, there's no no reason why a, a small firm, large firm, there's no reason why they can't go paperless. Yeah. It's because some partner doesn't want to read something on the screen. He wants to have the paper in his hand. Yeah. That's uh, not a good enough reason. No. Although I will say I really, when I'm a reading, reading a book, I like a real book. There's something about that paper. <laughs> um, not me. I, I, <laughs> I'm attached to my, my Kindle. I give up Kindle. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, with every threat, there's usually a lot of opportunity associated with that. Uh, what do you consider to be 
the the big opportunities in the in the industry right now? Well, I think the client accounting services. I think being that outsourced controller. I mean, the tax act right now. I mean, I had some of my firms did great in December with getting clients in for tax planning because of some of the changes really affected the clients. Yeah. And they had never, you know, they went out and did seminars and it really worked well. Yeah. You know, because, and I, I think that's opportunity. Um, there's still opportunity there with, with tax. And, and the, um, if you're doing the client accounting services, it's what, to me, the opportunity is what do you do with that data? Yeah, that's where the that's where the consulting comes in. Okay, you've got you've got the information. You see the the client's books. You know where they're strong, where they're weak. Now, what do you do to help the client make it better? Yeah, yeah, that's the great opportunity. Yeah, and that's such a you know that's such a valuable thing that that the accounting industry can provide for small business and just the economic you know, impact of that is potentially huge if more accountants did that. Um, exactly. So if you were to recommend one book to our listeners, what would it be? Ooh, I have a lot. <laughs> I think a book, that, a book that I've really um, given to a lot of my clients, and it's uh, Bruce Tolgan's It's Okay to Be the Boss. Oh. And it was it was written about how to manage millennials. Well, now we've got Generation Z coming in, you know, that it, it's how to manage people. And I think that's where we fail in accounting. And I, I didn't go off on this soapbox item, but our managers aren't managers. Hmm. They're managers of, of work. You know, they get the work done. They managers get work done through other people. And they they mentor and groom and uh, sponsor and they they really uh, CPA firm managers are a higher class of worker bee mm, interesting. You know, they they have to get chargeable hours too so you have to push those managers to delegate you know they'll get a client and they'll stay on that client for years push that down to someone else so they can learn yeah because they in a, an accounting firm you learn by doing it's really how you train people. You learn by doing. And if managers cling to work, then your young people don't get a chance. You've got to keep that flow of pushing work down. The big four has it. You know, they push it down to the lowest billing rate, they say. Yep. A lot of firms. Uh, so I try to work with managers to figure out how do you manage people. Right. And if the firms that go to no timesheets, you know, the value billing firms. Yep. Yep. The reason a lot of firms don't do that is because they don't know how to manage people. Right. Yeah, I'm a big believer in value pricing. I think it's huge. It's a game changer, big time. Yep, it is. It is. But I, I don't see a lot of it. I, I have two clients that I've worked with that have it, but I think it's gaining ground, yep. finally. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, it's it's been around for a long time, the concept, and it's finally getting more traction. Oh, yeah. Ron Baker's been working on it for 25 years, I think. <laughs> exactly. It's okay to be the boss. Who's the who's the author again? Bruce Holgan, T-U-L-G-A-N. Great. Okay. And we'll put links um, we'll put links on the blog when we um, 
share this with our listeners. Um, okay, great. All right, my last question, well, my next to the last question, what's one bit of advice or guidance or life lesson that you'd like to share? You know, I, I think when I look back over my many years in the accounting profession, I think my motivation has come from always wanting to to be better, you know, be better, know more, learn more, help more, uh, read more. And I think that's what, what's driven me. And I think it's a good life lesson. I mean, it, things, people aren't going to hand you something. You got to work for it. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that that's what's, what's been my driver is I, you know, I want to work for it. I want to learn more. I want to be better. And I haven't lost that, you know, now as I'm in the, final years of my career, you know, I've been around a long time. I still intend to learn and grow and do more. I'm just not done yet. You know, yeah. you, sound, you sound very energetic and, and just excited to learn. And I think that's, um, you know, that, that to me is fun. Learning is fun. And I think that's how we, we need to approach everything. But, and I think the CPA profession, my advice to people entering the CPA profession, you've got to love people. Yeah. You, you know, a lot of accountants say, I just wanted to do accounting. I didn't want to meet with people. <laughs> if you're in public account, public accounting, you got to like people. Yeah. That's what, and most of, most of my clients and in many partners I've talked to over the years, they love their clients. You know, they really have good, strong relationships and, and that's the joy is, is seeing other people succeed and do well. Absolutely. Well, how, how can uh, people best follow or connect with you? If they'll go to RitaKeller.com, uh, it's easy to find. And that's where my blog is. And there's a place on there where they can sign up to get it emailed to their ma mailbox every day. If not, you can just visit it there on the web. And uh, every business day I'm writing something about managing an accounting firm. So if they'll go and check it out, uh, there's a, on the side, there's a category. If you want to know about mentoring, you can uh, sort it because again, I've been doing it 13 years every day, every business day. Wow. So you can, you can sort on mentoring. You can sort on different topics. If you're looking for something, it might help you uh, do something good for your own CPA practice. That's amazing. Daily writing. That's so disciplined. I'm, I admire your discipline. That's great. Um, Thanks. Well, Rita, thank you so much for your time and your insights and just being willing to share. I'm sure our listeners will get great value from listening. So thank you very much. Well, thanks for having me. And it's always good to talk to you, Brandon. Likewise. Thanks for listening to the Accountant's Flight Plan Podcast. If you like what you heard today, please follow us so that you can get updates when new episodes are released and share our podcast with your friends and colleagues. You can also follow Poe Group Advisors on social media. Please visit our website for more information at pogroupadvisors.com.